Aloha. Welcome to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but nothing replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Alzheimer's disease, it's a masterful thief of memories, independence, potentially years of life. But it does not just affect the one person who has it. It affects their whole community of loved ones. The Alzheimer's Foundation of America has started a countrywide educational tour hoping to spread the word about the disease and all of those that it affects and looking at some unique aspects of care. Today, we have Chris Schneider on the line. He is the Director of Communications for the Alzheimer's Foundation of America. Thank you for joining me today. No problem, Kathy. Thanks so much for having me on. Now, a lot of people fear, I mean, I know I fear Alzheimer's, you know, I'm getting a little older, I forget things now and then, and I go, oh, no, this could this be the beginnings? And, and yet, for most folks, you know, there's, there are some characteristic symptoms and things that might lead somebody to be a little more concerned about their memory than otherwise. What are some of the classic features that you're aware of, of people who might have Alzheimer's? I think one of the biggest things to remember about Alzheimer's disease, and it's a big misconception among a lot of people, is that Alzheimer's is not a normal part of aging. Alzheimer's is a progressive brain disorder that impacts memory, thinking, and language skills, and the ability to carry out simple tasks. And so often you hear people say things like, oh, I, I must be getting old, I forgot this, it, it must be dementia, or it must be Alzheimer's disease. It, again, it's, it's not a normal part of aging. There's a difference between normal age-related memory loss and something like a dementia-related illness such as Alzheimer's. So, you know, just to use an example, we all forget where we put our keys every now and again. Like every day, always... yeah. Exactly, yeah. Yes. You know, if you forget where your keys are, that's normal. If you forget where your keys are because you're putting them in places they have no business being, like in the oven or in the freezer, or, you know, you, you forget where you park your car every now and again, that's normal. If you don't know what your car is, that's something that, you know, now you want to start being a little more concerned and start talking to a physician and, and getting checked out. So, again, there is a difference, and uh, it's important that, that people be proactive about their brain health. One of the ways they can do that is by getting a memory screening. That's something we recommend, and that's a service the Alzheimer's Foundation of America provides. And what a memory screening is, is it's a simple uh, series of questions designed to test language and thinking and memory and they'll just ask you a couple different questions. They'll give you a baseline score. If you score above the baseline, great. You know, keep track of your results, get screened every year. And if you're below the baseline, um, you go talk to your physician for a more comprehensive evaluation. We offer memory screenings every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, totally free. We're doing them virtually because of the pandemic. And if somebody wants to schedule an appointment, all they have to do is call our office, 866 232 8484, or connect to our website, which is www.alzfdn.org. And anybody could do that. You don't even yeah, have to anybody, be worried about symptoms. Yeah. You could just go on and say, hey, I wonder what the memory test is. I want to see how I do. And so they absolutely. could take a look at it on the website. Yeah, absolutely. We've screened people as young as 18. We've screened people as old as 95. It's Again, it's totally free. It's open to everybody. There's no insurance prerequisites. You don't need a referral from a doctor. Just give us a call or connect with us through the website. Now, I have to ask you, Chris, did you do it? I did do it. 
Yes. I, I, w- I want to go do it now. I'm like, this sounds like it could be interesting. So what kind of questions are there? I mean, obviously, we don't. there might be different answers, but what sort of things are people asked? If somebody says, you know, I'm a little afraid, they're going to ask me stuff about history or, you know, about something I don't know about. What, what are the general questions? What could people expect? They'll, the screeners will ask, they'll, they'll give you a couple different words to remember. So they'll say, you know, remember these three words. I'm going to ask you about them later on during screening. That's one way to test your memory. They may ask you to name uh, as many types of a certain object as you can in 30 seconds. Things like that. It's not, you know, it, it's not Jeopardy. It's not, you know, who wants to be a millionaire where they're going to start really asking obscure questions. Um, it's, it's nothing to be afraid of. And, again, we encourage everybody to take advantage of it, regardless of whether you're having a memory problem or not. You mentioned something really curious because I think a lot of organizations have had to do this over the last year. You mentioned that now these things are done virtually as opposed to maybe previously they might have been done in an in-person format. What sort of things has the Alzheimer's Foundation had to do to deal with the restrictions with the pandemic? We've shifted everything virtual. As I, as I mentioned just before, actually you just mentioned it, the memory screenings, those used to be done in person. Now those are done <clears throat> virtually using secure video conference technology. We have different therapeutic and activity programs, which we used to provide in person. Now we do those virtually. We've been doing that since uh, just about St. Patrick's Day last year. And we do at least one program a day. We do music, art, dance, movement, chair yoga, even gardening. And it's all done virtually. You can go to our website and view the upcoming schedule, alzfdn.org. And, um, it's again, it's all free. There's a program every day, and we invite everybody to take part. And one of the other things that we've shifted virtual is our educational conferences, where, as you mentioned, we were going around the country, and we would have conferences in different cities across the country. Because of the travel restrictions, we have to do that virtually now. So we have one coming up yeah, for uh, Hawaii. That's on February 25th from 9 a.m. to 11:30 a.m. If it was a different time, we would be in Hawaii virtual. Uh, we would be in Hawaii in person. Um, I can tell you, a lot of people on our staff are very upset that we're not able to visit Hawaii <laughs> I'm personally. Certain they but, are. Um, yeah, especially now in, in New York, where there's you know snow all over the ground. But um, you know, we really feel it's important that people still have access to this information because right now. Uh, the, the burdens on caregivers and families affected by Alzheimer's disease are even greater now because of the COVID pandemic and the increased isolation and having some of the services they would normally be able to take advantage of in person being cut off. So that's how we're shifting virtually. Um, and again, if, if you have questions, you can visit our website, alzfdn.org, or you can call our helpline, which is 866-232-8484. That is staffed entirely by licensed social workers and open seven days a week. Well, and it's certainly amazing work that it sounds like has been done just to make sure that these services are available. You mentioned music and art and dance, doing types of movement like yoga, even gardening. I think the idea of the fact that somebody who has this degenerative brain process, Alzheimer's, they can still do things. You know, there's always these stories you hear about of someone who in their former life, they were a dancer and you see them hear the music and they start moving their body. And there may be, there's so many mysteries, I think, about our cognitive abilities and even the lack thereof that certain aspects of who we are might stay with us, even if you do develop something like Alzheimer's disease. So 
enriching those areas, those cultural constructs that people may have exhibited or done throughout their entire lives, the music, the the art, the just the, the dance, all of that just seems like it would be ideal to try and help keep somebody who's suffering from this condition still feeling as though there is something that touches them that they remember to do. Absolutely right. If, if music was a part of your life before or art was a part of your life before Alzheimer's, yeah, it's a way to, to unlock memories and, and have aid with recall. And if it isn't part of your life, it stimulates your brain in another way in that it's teaching you a new skill. So if you weren't a musician before, but you want to sing along or you want to practice an instrument or things like that, that can all stimulate the brain. And so often, you know, isolation right now is, is again, is something we would never normally advocate for, but because of COVID-19, it's a, it's a public health necessity. But you still need to be able to stay active and engaged even while you're isolated at home. And that's really what all this virtual programming is all about. It's giving people a way to stay active, stay engaged, exercise their brains, and, and do it all from the comfort and safety of their own home. And, then, and each one of these activities in our virtual programs are things you can do at home. Well, and that's exactly right. Isolation, I think. There was a study done a couple of years ago that looked at the effects of people when they get older. And one of the most dangerous conditions that no one really appreciated up until in the recent past is loneliness. And the fact that over the last year, people have been under forced isolation to keep themselves safe has really added to some of those aspects of needing to reach out in any format. And I think it sounds like the Alzheimer's Foundation really found a virtual format that they can use to help to make sure to keep those communications with these individuals. I think it's it's an ideal format for those who have the technological ability to participate with that. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Chris Schneider. He's the Director of Communications of the Alzheimer's Foundation of America. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what are some of the aspects of Alzheimer's that sometimes people don't realize when we think about establishing education and what sort of things might they learn on this program that's coming up in just about 10 days or so and what what might people get from it? We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Anchor Systems Hawaii. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Chris Schneider on the line. He's the Director of Communications at the Alzheimer's Foundation of America. And right before the break, we were talking about their efforts to go virtual. In this day and age, with the pandemic still continuing, we definitely need to keep people safe. And those who would potentially be at risk by coming into groups include some people who by their age alone are at a greater risk of developing complications should they have exposure to coronavirus. So one of the ways that the Alzheimer's Foundation has addressed this is by trying to keep people interactive, doing virtual classes every day. And you mentioned before at the top of the show that there are some ways, if you're concerned about your memory, you can go to the website, do a free memory test, which can help you to determine if you're at risk and should you talk to your provider about some other memory kind of concerns that you might be exhibiting. Now, I'm I'm curious, Chris, when we think about some of the aspects of Alzheimer's that you often get asked about, 
You know, these are things that in the medical world, you know, I have family members ask me, you know, what about medications and things like that. But sometimes it's not as much the practical day-to-day sort of things that people need to know. What are some of the most common questions that come across your desk that you've seen when you're dealing with people and loved ones who are trying to manage with this situation with someone who's been diagnosed with Alzheimer's? You know, a lot of it is is dealing with certain behaviors and, you know, questions we get on the helpline a lot would be how to, how to deal with things like um, possibly aggression or um, trying to get a loved one to um, change a certain behavior or how do you keep a person stimulated while they're at home. Um, well, behavioral issues like that are, are really a big uh, part of the helpline. Um, other questions we get asked may be, um, what sort of coping tools are available for caregivers? You know, because as we mentioned before, even prior to the pandemic, caring for a loved one with Alzheimer's disease, if you're a family member, is really a challenging task. And certainly with everything being compounded by the pandemic, it's gotten harder. So those are really a lot of the common questions we get. Other types of questions could include, again, dealing with um, how to find services in your area if you're in Honolulu, are there respite care programs available or adult day programs? The nice thing about our helpline is we're able to refer callers to services in their area no matter where they are. So that's another big big part of the helpline that we get. Well, and that's a fantastic thing to do because – as you mentioned, people, you know, here in the islands, we've got we've got Oahu, where there's a lot of resources that might be available more than there might be on Maui or Kauai or some of the other neighbor mm-hmm. islands. And so certainly to to be able to look up things in your neighborhood is, is ideal. And for a lot of folks, they, they might not have the ability to do this on their own. So calling the helpline might give them that outreach opportunity to figure out what could be in their neighborhood or even what are some other some other folks dealing with that are having the same situation. Now let's talk about the educational efforts of the Alzheimer's Foundation. Sure. So we actually were founded by a a former family caregiver whose mother lived with Alzheimer's disease from the 1980s through the 1990s. And at that time, he really felt like there was no place to turn aside from talking to his mother's physician. There weren't support groups. There wasn't referrals. There weren't therapeutic programs. And that's why AFA was founded, to be that resource for families so that no one has to go through the journey of Alzheimer's alone. And as I mentioned earlier on, one of the ways we're doing that is through our Educating America Tour. And we do have a free virtual conference coming up on February 25th from 9 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. And we encourage any family in Hawaii who is affected by Alzheimer's disease, if they just want to learn more about brain health, if they're a caregiver, if they're a professional – anybody to take part in the conference. It's free. Uh, it's done virtually, so all you need is a, a computer or a smartphone. You can register through our website, alzfdn.org, and uh, there's going to be a lot of great topics. So what are some of the things people might expect if they're going to the conference? I know that there's a lot of questions that might come up with, how do you know you have it? And we've talked a little bit about the memory screen, but what are some of the highlights? Because I think this educational tour, you mentioned the Hawaii version will be on February 25th, but it's actually going across the U.S. So this is one conference, but this is certainly not the only opportunity for people who might live in other areas or, you know, for family members who might have elderly adults that are in Hawaii and they might have siblings that are in another state. This isn't their only opportunity, 
to participate. So this is going across the U.S. throughout the rest of the year? Yes, we have dates all throughout the rest of the year. You can you can see the whole schedule on our website. And even if you go to if you take part in this conference and you want to learn more at another one, because the speakers and the topics do change, by all means, you can you can take part in all of them. So on the one February 25th, we're going to have an overview of Alzheimer's disease. We're going to have someone explain what it is, what the warning signs are, you know, how dementia-related memory loss differs from normal aging, sort of like we just talked about um, earlier. And, um, and she's also going to offer some brain tips and share resources that are available to help caregivers. We're going to have a session on legal planning for peace of mind, which is going to talk about how you have the necessary uh, legal documents in place when you're confronted by dementia. So things like powers of attorney, medical directives, wills and trusts, um, how you get those, what those things are and how you get them in order. And then also our last session is going to be one called Deciding for One Who Cannot. And uh, that's going to discuss how and when you can make decisions for someone who is unable to answer for themselves and talk about what is uh, moral and legal and ethical and, and how you develop guardianships and decisions that need to be made from practical, financial, and legal standpoints. So it's really going to cover a lot of stuff. There will be a Q&A after each session where people can type questions into a chat box and have our, our experts answer them. I mean, that's, and that's what it's all about. It's all about connecting people with information. And again, we encourage everybody to take part and just register through our website, alzfdn.org. Well, and I think one of the aspects that often is not well understood is that if somebody truly has a diagnosis of Alzheimer's and they're not able to take care of themselves, that's not the time to start asking them about their advanced directives and their wishes. It's way before that happens. When we think about trying to look at the ethical and legal and moral implications, we kind of have to say, hey, as somebody gets diagnosed early on, that's the time when we start, when we need to start looking at what, who's going to take care of them, what are their financial implications for their health care, will they ever need to be placed in a, in a home, even just some of the questions like Medicaid eligibility. Those are things that you don't want to wait until it's hit the crisis time to start taking a look at. So I certainly can see the value in the topics that you're describing. Do you have any stories of people who have learned something from the conference that really helped them in their future management for themselves or for their loved one who've been diagnosed with Alzheimer's? We get feedback from the, the conference attendees. We always ask for evaluations at the end of every conference. I will say that the legal planning ones and the advanced directive ones generally have a lot of questions with them, which is good because that's exactly what we want. People find that session very informative, but it speaks exactly to what you're saying in that the time to deal with it is as quickly as you can. And not only is it, is it good from a legal and a financial standpoint to just have these affairs in order, you also want to make sure that the person – with the disease is involved as much as possible because these decisions all ultimately impact them. So the earlier you're able to start addressing some of these things, the more input they're able to have into developing their own care plan and also making sure that their wishes are known. And then also from the caregiver perspective, that takes some of the onus off of you because now you don't have to sit there and wonder, well, what would mom or dad want me to do? They've just told you. So the more that you can nail down ahead of time as quickly as possible, the better. Agreed 100%. I think that 
it also takes the burden and the stress away from the from the loved one. They're dealing with enough as it is to have to add on top of that in a healthcare emergency setting. Hey, now you have to make decisions. It adds to the grief of what's going on and what do they do. And having those discussions beforehand is always ideal. I'll never forget the one time my dad was visiting. We had him live on air do his advanced directives, and he did not answer anything the way I expected he would. So it really just reinforced for me the fact that this is something that we need to ask when people are able to make decisions because you may not know exactly what it is that they want. And in my case, I'm like, really? That's what you want? I, I kind of didn't agree with it, but it's not my decision at that point. It really is it really is his. So respecting their autonomy when they still can have that level of autonomy is, is ideal. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Chris Schneider, Communications Director at the Alzheimer's Foundation of America, about what is the future vision of what we can do to help support people's brain health and so that maybe someday we won't need an Alzheimer's Foundation of America because maybe we'll have found a cure. Wouldn't that be amazing? We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and you're listening to our discussion today with Chris Schneider, the Director of Communications from the Alzheimer's Foundation of America. And there is an excellent conference that's coming up that is free for anyone who chooses to register that's going to provide education. It's part of the National Educating America Tour, and that's February 25th. So anyone who wants to know more about Alzheimer's disease or has a loved one who might be suffering from that... It's a great opportunity to hear about some topics that will definitely be pertinent as time goes on. Now, Chris, right before the break, we were talking a little bit about some of those ethical issues, advanced directives, and some of the other aspects that people often don't think about when they're dealing with situations related to Alzheimer's. And one of the things that I'm curious about is, you know, the Alzheimer's Foundation has a lot of educational opportunities how are people who might be experiencing the condition able to participate in some of those? Is it through caregivers, loved ones? And what can all of us do in the community to help support people who are trying their best to take care of their family members and loved ones who have Alzheimer's? I would say the biggest thing that, that people could do to support caregivers is really just be compassionate and lend a helping hand and Ask them what, what could be helpful, you know. So often, don't wait for somebody, if you know somebody who's in your life who is a caregiver, don't wait for them to ask you for help. Offer it to them because they may be reluctant to ask. And even if it's something as simple as, hey, listen, um, you know, let me help out with, with a meal for you guys. Or let me, you know, if, if it wasn't COVID, let me come over and, and watch your loved one while you can run out and and go to the bank. Even that simple thing gives them a break for a little bit, and it's one less thing that they have to do. Um, Really just be compassionate and and be out there and and do what you can, however you can, 
um, just to, to brighten their day and, and make their life a little easier. And the other thing is, is don't be afraid to share information with people. If you know someone is going through this, if you know that a, a friend is caring for a loved one with Alzheimer's, you know, let them know about this conference. Let them know about a helpline. Let them know about different services that are available to them. Because what we, what we hear sometimes is from people is, oh, I wish I knew you guys were around when I was dealing with this. And it's, it's nice to hear that, but at the same time, it's unfortunate because we wish you, <laughs> you knew we were here when you were dealing with this too, because then we would be able to help you. So spreading the word is another thing that people can do as well. Well, it's a great idea, you know, just that outreach, just to say, hey, you know, I know that you're dealing with this condition with your loved one. And in, in a lot of cases, I think often it's spouses. So you might have a wife or a husband who who might be dealing with their spouse's situation with their memory. And then what? You know, then they're also probably of the same age. So they might have a little minor problem themselves, or they might be having more serious issues just trying to deal with, as you mentioned earlier, some of the behaviors. You know, that also becomes somewhat of a difficulty in trying to manage that within within a small, close family. That, that becomes another issue. Now, part of the goal of the Alzheimer's Foundation, as, as you've stated is really just to provide the education and to provide some tools for folks so that you never have to hear that phrase. Hey, like you said, I wish I knew you were here when I was going through it. What are some of the ways that people can find out more about the services that are provided? Call our helpline, which is 866-232-8484. Again, that's staffed entirely by licensed social workers and it's open seven days a week. You can also connect with the helpline through our website, which is www.alzfdn.org. There's a web chat function in the lower right-hand corner. It's a blue and white box, and you can chat with a social worker in real time. And the nice thing about that as well is that's actually translatable for 90 different languages. So if you know somebody who speaks, uh, you know, they're not, they're not an English speaker, they speak Spanish, or they speak Chinese, or they speak Japanese, you know, you can chat with a, with a social worker in their native language, and the responses get translated back. It's really a, a neat system. Um, and then in terms of other different things that I mentioned, the, the therapeutic programs, the activity programs, the memory screening, it's all on our website. So, again, it's alzfdn.org. There's a, there's a caregiving resources tab that has information and fact sheets about a lot of the stuff that we talked about. There's a memory screening tab, which has information about the memory screening program. There's an events calendar that has different activity programs and webinars and, and the educational conference, which I was just talking about. So by all means, please go check it out. And if there's something you don't see there that you have a question about, just reach out to us. Our helpline social workers are terrific. It, again, the helpline is staffed entirely by licensed social workers, so you're always talking to a professional, and they'll help you out however they can. What do you see as the future for the Alzheimer's Foundation? I sort of made this you know, thought, hey, maybe we'll maybe we'll find a cure someday and we won't even need to worry. But I, I think that's probably far off in, in the future from what we are seeing. Where do you think the foundation is going to go next? After educating the educational tour, what are some of the other up-and-coming things that the foundation really wants to focus on? We're focusing on caregivers and the services we have. We want to just keep expanding them. We want to keep expanding our our programs and our helpline and the tour because I, I like you, I, I hope this disease, we find a cure for it uh, real soon. Uh, 
Um, in the interim, until we find a cure, care remains essential. And unfortunately, Alzheimer's is a growing problem. There's 5.8 million Americans living with it right now. If a cure is not found, the CDC projects that that number will nearly triple by 2060. So it's a real public health crisis. And again, until a cure is found, um, care is going to remain essential. So that's that's what we're focused on. We're focused on the caregiver. We're focused on providing new and, and additional ways to serve people and serve families affected by this disease. Well, I definitely want to thank you for joining us today and for calling in from New York. It's late in your part of the world and for sharing the great information that the Alzheimer's Foundation is really helping to support throughout the entire United States. For those who didn't hear it, you can go to the alzheimersfoundation.org website. We will post that on our Facebook page so you can find the link. But it's another opportunity to hear more about great ways that we can all support loved ones, caregivers, and family members who unfortunately might be dealing with this devastating disease. I want to thank you, Chris Schneider from the Alzheimer's Association of America, for sharing your expertise with us today. If you'd like to listen to this show again, you can go on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week. Thanks again. Mm-hmm.